This podcast is brought to you by the NATO Association of Canada and the University of Toronto's NATO Research Group. Ce balado vous est présenté par l'Association canadienne pour l'OTAN et le Centre de recherche sur l'OTAN de l'Université de Toronto. The following interview, Euro-Caspian Energy Security and Geoeconomics, with Dr. Robert M. Cutler, Director of the NATO Association of Canada's Energy Security Program, is an excerpt from Episode 29 of the Red Line podcast, Who Controls the Caspian Sea?, released on November 1, 2020. The Red Line, hosted by Michael Hilliard, is a fortnightly deep-dive podcast that interviews a panel of experts on one key story. The full audio of this podcast is available from the Red Line website at www.theredlinepodcast.com. But what do the other four nations on the Caspian want? What are the strategic goals for countries like Kazakhstan and Azerbaijan when it comes to the Caspian Sea? Well, for that, we turn to our final guest. Part 3. Pipe Dreams. Well, the Caspian Sea is a unique body of water in the center of Eurasia that is bordered by Russia, Kazakhstan, Turkmenistan, Iran, and Azerbaijan. And if you zoom out uh, from the Caspian Sea, you get eventually Siberia, you get China, uh, you get, of course, India, but there are the Himalayas in the way, and you get the South Caucasus, and even, you know, you get over to the Black Sea. So although it seems a bit remote and isolated uh, on the map, uh, especially because of the uh, energy resources, it is, in fact, a uh, very important region to the great powers in the area, and even to uh, the United States and the European Union. Robert M. Cutler is a fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and an expert on Eurasia for the NATO Association of Canada. Robert is the expert when it comes to energy policy and strategic issues in Central Asia, and we're very pleased to have him join us today. Well, clearly the biggest player is and always has been Russia uh, since they expanded into Central Asia in the 19th century. One of the major points of the Actel Treaty was to determine whether the Caspian was a sea or lake legally. Why does this make a difference between lake and sea in real terms? Well, yes, this was a question of trying to find a legal regime for the sea after the Soviet Union fell apart because the old Soviet Iranian uh, situation arrangement didn't work because you had three new independent states. The proposals at the time, uh, none of which, neither of which in fact was adopted, and I'll explain why, but the significance was that if it was to be considered an international sea, then uh, the law of the sea convention would apply. Each state would claim full jurisdiction of 12 nautical miles from the shoreline with an exclusive economic zone of over 24, of another 24 miles. And outside of that, there would be this area in the center of the sea that uh, the regime for which would not have been decided. Russia had a proposal in the mid-90s that it should be subject to a joint use, that nothing should be able to be done without everybody agreeing to it uh, in this area. Uh, and, and so this is one of the reasons why things remained uh, undecided for, for so long. Uh, the other 
option under international law was to consider the Caspian as an inland lake. Now, what that would have meant was that no coastal state would have been able to take unilateral action to establish national control over seabed resources without the agreement of all the others. So you'd have like a free veto. Anyone of the of, of them could say uh, that uh, you can't do whatever what you want to do because I won't let you. In fact, the Aktau agreement arrived at a third arrangement, which could have sort of been foreseen uh, in the beginning that, like the Black Sea, in fact, the Caspian Sea has a sui generis arrangement because it's a unique body of water. It has a unique legal regime that's not either an inland lake or an international sea. But all of these points were hammered out over the course of negotiations. And the major point is for Russia, the major point uh, is that no uh, non-littoral country can put ships, including warships, into the Caspian Sea so that any flag other than those five that I've mentioned uh, is forbidden. And that was important to them because they're the dominant naval power there and they wish to remain so. Uh, the other major point was uh, that due to the insistence of particularly Turkmenistan and Azerbaijan, uh, the national sectors of the seabed uh, collectively exhaust the seabed. And it's not the case that every country of the five has to agree with any project to lay pipelines or exploit resources, for example. For example, that's the famous Trans-Caspian Pipeline project uh, between Turkmenistan and Azerbaijan. The two countries share uh, a, a border under sea. And so if they decide to build this pipeline, the Oktau Treaty enshrines, which they always had the right to do under international law, but this makes it absolutely irrevocable, uh, that uh, they don't need anyone else's permission to do that. The other, the other countries can ask questions, what about environmental uh, conservation, but they can't veto it. And those are the two major points of the Oktau Treaty. Russia conserves its naval uh, influence, superior influence, and uh, resource exploitation is not dependent on unanimity. So in the negotiations, there became two different camps on how to divide up the Caspian Sea. Russia and the ex-Soviet countries wanted to divide up the sea proportional to their share of the coastline, whereas Iran wanted to divide the sea equally into five parts. Can you take us through why Iran would be vying for this second option? Well, because if they if they follow the rules of international law, then Iran only gets 13 or 14 percent. Uh, there's a rule uh, called the modified median line, which I won't go into explaining, but it's a rule for uh, drawing the lines that uh, divide uh, the seabed. It's it's a well-used rule. It's 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 conventional. Uh, and uh, the other thing to know about the Caspian Sea is that it's, in a way, I won't say it's two different seas, but the north and the south are very different, and the south is very deep. And Iran, of course, is in the south, so it does not have the technology to um, explore or exploit uh, its energy resources in its offshore, because that's a very advanced uh technology and due to the uh, various embargoes and so on, uh, they don't have access to it except 
they got uh, they 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 probably smuggled in uh, a Swedish design around 2008 and domestically constructed uh, a uh, one platform, uh, but it doesn't but but not going out very far. In terms of major funding and infrastructure projects, the Caspian Sea cities have always taken a second place to the Black Sea cities. Why do you think that's the case? Well, that's a very good question. And the answer would be that uh, Kazakhstan and Turkmenistan are newly independent states. Uh, when they were part of the Soviet Union or of uh, the Russian Empire, Russia had an Astrakhan. Uh, which uh, obviated the need for any other port. Uh, there is uh, in Kazakhstan an important city uh, in the south on the coast, which mainly industrial. Um, the old Soviet name is Norvi Uzen. It's been changed since then. I don't remember it offhand. <laughs> um, uh, but that's mainly industrial, uh, not energy-related uh, city. And as for Iran... Uh, the uh, history of Persian civilization has been concentrated uh, in areas away from the Caspian region. All of the great uh, conurbations of, of the Persian, of the various Persian empires, uh, and of Iran, uh, are away from the Persepolis, uh, Tehran, and therefore not regarded as of uh, great strategic interest uh, until these new resources. Uh, energy resources were able to be exploited in the post-Soviet era because the Soviets didn't have the technology to do it. And now they are seen as being more strategic regions uh, than they were in the past. Well, staying on Iran here, what do you think Tehran's overall strategic goals are in the Caspian Sea? Well, I think that desperately they want to exploit the energy resources. Uh, that's aside from general prestige questions to which I alluded before. The only benefit of the Caspian to them is if they would be able to uh, exploit the energy resources in their offshore. But as I said, it's very deep. They don't have the technology and they're um, barred from acquiring the technology. In fact, one of the side deals for uh, the Octal Treaty was that the Russians would build platforms for the Iranians in Astrakhan and float them across uh, to the relatively not so deep part of the deep southern Caspian and uh, for Iran's benefit. Uh, this was one of the ways in which Iran's agreement was, was, was bought, if you, if you, to, to put it that way. We're looking to the north now. The Caspian is the only sea Kazakhstan has access to. So the region is incredibly important to Nur Sultan, the capital of Kazakhstan. Can you take us through why the Caspian is so important to Kazakhstan and what their overall strategic goals might be here in the region? Well, I think it's convenient here to uh, mention Kazakhstan and Azerbaijan together. Because aside from uh, securing the access to and the egress of their energy resources, uh, Kazakhstan and Azerbaijan and a number of other countries to the east and the west, from uh, China to uh, Turkey and uh, East Central Europe, are cooperating in what's called the Trans-Caspian International Transport Route, uh, which is an infrastructure project uh, for 
transportation of commodities and containerization and so on and so on. And uh, Baku, in fact, has built up a very impressive port uh, with multimodal capabilities uh, to play this role. And uh, Kazakhstan also uh, has uh, done this in, uh, on its coast. Uh, and so that is uh, the, the economic benefit that could come from participating in such a transport route intercontinental from Asia to Europe uh, is one of the uh, definite interests of both Kazakhstan and Azerbaijan in uh, in the Caspian region, and they've been cooperating for some years on this. As you can, might imagine, uh, that such infrastructure construction requires a, a very specific technical cooperation. In your opinion, with almost all of Kazakhstan's major trade routes and energy infrastructure going through Russian territory, they may be trying to diversify their trade routes here in case things ever go bad with Moscow. Well, well yes, of course, and that's exactly what they're doing, um, because... Uh, from Aktau to Baku, there are other markets that you can serve. You know, you go, the, the routes will go into Turkey, they'll go into Southeast Europe, and because the distances are less than the distances uh, through European Russia, then the uh, cost of the transport is uh, more um, economically efficient, and the route will be uh, more, they hope, uh, more patronized by, by shippers. And would this also apply to Turkmenistan, where they have similar goals for their region? Well, yes, Turkmenistan uh, is also involved there. They're building up infrastructure on their uh, coast. Uh, there is, in fact, uh, a project. There's a, a town called Kurik, which is near Akhtau, uh, which they've been building up uh, for this purpose of uh participating in, in a route uh, of commodity transport. Uh, also, uh, what's important to them uh, is eventually the Trans-Caspian pipeline, gas pipeline, as well as uh, a project, uh, which I should mention also from, from Kazakhstan, I didn't have that, I didn't mention it, the so-called Trans-Caspian oil transport system, because Kazakhstan, as you may know, has enormous resources in its northeast. There's the Tengiz oil field, which is onshore, and there's the Kashagan gas and condensate field, which is offshore. And after years and years of development, in fact, just today, literally just this morning, I saw that they're going ahead with the um, next investment stage in Kashagan. They have uh, this Trans-Caspian oil transport system, which has been on the on the drawing boards for about a dozen years, since 2007, in fact, when French President Sarkozy uh, uh, welcomed Nazarbayev in Paris. Uh, and uh, that would be a way to get uh, more Kazakhstani energy to uh, Europe. Now, Kazakhstan's going to have a problem in the next few years. They are going forward with the uh, next stages of development, not only of the Kashagan offshore oil and condensate field, but also of the onshore Tengiz oil field. They don't have enough pipelines to carry the anticipated production. So uh, Kazakhstan's interest is to find, find consumers and find ways to markets for this. 
which Turkmenistan also shares. Because Turkmenistan, as you may know, uh, almost all their exports now go to China uh, because uh, a little bit of, they've they've started exporting a little bit to Russia again, but not not by no means like one tenth of the volume that they used to. And so uh, Turkmenistan also shares in 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 this Transcaspian corridor uh, desire. What about Azerbaijan? Should they be worried about the Russian dominance of the Caspian Sea, or the fact that Russia is moving their Caspian naval base much closer to Azeri waters? How do you view the Russians' move here? Do you think moving from Astrakhan to Kaspis is a signal to Baku that Russia is taking the Caspian more seriously? Or is moving the fleet into Dagestan, a historically problematic region for Moscow in the same vein as Chechnya, just simply a jobs program, putting more jobs into a region that Putin can't afford to piss off? What do you think? No, you're, you're correct that that the Russians are building a new naval base in, their, uh, in Dagestan at Kaspisk, and they are going to transfer their main uh, operations to there from, uh, from uh, Astrakhan. But the Azerbaijanis and the Russians are actually strategic partners. Um, there is, if you'll notice, uh, the recent uh, Nagorno-Karabakh issues, the Russians haven't come in on the side of the Armenians, which is what all other things being equal from a very great distance, people would have expected, but it's not happening. Uh, and it won't happen, at least not so long as the current prime minister is there. And they're certainly not going to send uh, troops there uh, unless they're peacekeeping troops, which the Azerbaijanis won't, probably won't accept. Uh, but uh, to return to your question about Azerbaijan, no, um, they're not concerned. Uh, it's not a zero-sum game. Azerbaijan, uh, from 2005 uh, to 2008, they bought $5 billion of Russian military equipment. Uh, although Russia is now their sec still remains their second largest military uh, and weapon system supplier. And Azerbaijan has done a very good job of hedging. You know, it has these relations with the U.S. and Europe and, and Iran, good relations with Iran uh, because of their situation, and very good relations with Turkey. So Azerbaijan, as it always has been, stuck in the middle <laughs> amongst Russia, Turkey, and Iran. They've done a very good job of keeping their margins of maneuver uh, open. Uh, and uh, President Aliyev of in Baku and President Putin in Moscow have very good personal relations. Uh, and the militaries of the two countries uh, have very good relations. So uh, I don't believe that Azerbaijan has uh, any trepidation uh, over Russia, uh, even if Russia is moving its uh, fleet uh, and its headquarters from Astrakhan to Kaspisk. An increasingly big player in this region is Turkey. Does Ankara have a strategy for the Caspian Sea? Well, Turkey per se, of course, as you remark implicitly, is not a, a literal state of the Caspian. Uh, Turkey's uh, interest in the Caspian uh, mainly has to do with the pipelines because the uh, fabled southern gas corridor of the Euro that the European Union has been building, which begins in Baku uh, and uh, goes through Tbilisi into eastern uh, Turkey and then crosses Turkey with the so-called TANAP pipeline, which is the Turkish acronym for 
Trans-Anatolian natural gas pipeline, the TANAP pipeline, then crosses Greece and ends in southern Italy through the TAP, which is the Trans-Adriatic pipeline. Uh, this pipeline uh, needs to be filled, uh, and also it is supplying gas to Turkey itself. They off take gas from uh, the flow, and the uh, SGC, the Southern Gas Corridor, which is the these three pipelines taken together uh, uh, from Baku to Turkey, across Turkey, and then across Greece to Italy. Um, it's it's the construction's complete. It's going to open in the very near future, and so Turkey's interest, as well as Azerbaijan's interest, because it's the Azerbaijani uh, state oil corporation, which includes gas, um, uh, Sokar uh, of the Azerbaijani Republic, is the majority owner of TANAP. In fact, Azerbaijan is the largest foreign direct investor in Turkey, believe it or not, uh, because of, thanks to the energy infrastructure. So it's in their common interest to uh, assure and to expand the volumes of gas that might flow through uh, the uh, Southern Gas Corridor, including the TANAP Trans-Anatolian Gas Pipeline. If the Trans-Caspian Pipeline is completed and goes into operation, and the gas is flowing freely from Turkmenistan all the way through to Europe, do you think this will put a dent in the political leverage Russia has over Europe through their reliance on Russian gas exports? Exactly. Um, the German, uh, the, Ger the Germans have tried to build the Nord Stream 2 because they're uncomfortable uh, with their sole dependence on the route through uh, for uh, Russian gas through Ukraine and Poland. Long story short, uh, even if NS2 is built, any final political decision about it will be challenged in EU courts and it'll go on for years and be appealed. Uh, now, the thing is that uh, in the next year or two, German and European gas demand will not increase too much as the, because the economic recovery from the government lockdowns. But after two years, this demand is going to soar. They have the capacity to import LNG, liquefied natural gas, from the U.S., Qatar, or anyone else. But two years out, the price of that is going to be much higher. And they're going to need energy more because they're phasing out their nuclear and their own domestic EU gas production is falling off. Uh, at the same time, uh, the European Green Deal is uh, severely affected uh, because uh, many of the funds originally planned for that will now still be used instead to promote economic recovery from lockdowns. And... This is why gas from Turkmenistan, given that NS2 has problems, given that the Turkstream 2 has problems, which is another pipeline, has problems for the same reason NS2 does, given that LNG prices are going to go up. Uh, this is why the EU is still interested in the Trans-Caspian Gas Pipeline, the TCGP, sometimes just the TCP. Uh, so... Uh, there are all the conditions now for the TCGP to the Trans-Caspian Pipeline uh, to to be realized, uh, and and uh, Europe uh, will welcome Turkmen gas, but if Turkmen gas doesn't, for whatever reason, doesn't get to Europe, it's not going to be the 
you know, the world for Europe. They'll, they'll, it's not going to be a tragedy. They'll find something else. So it's really, um, you know, the ball is in Turkmenistan's court, actually, you know, to, so to say, uh, that it's the economic recession financial situation resulting from the lockdowns that has brought the TCP back onto uh, the uh, agenda where it was kind of falling off before, you could say. So long story short, to answer your question, uh, yes, definitely. The uh, TCP has this opportunity. Uh, Europe is interested. It would make a difference, uh, but that's the balance sheet about what's needed for it to happen. With the act out treaty keeping out foreign flag ships, the U.S. has no ability at the moment to put U.S. naval ships into the Caspian Sea. So does that mean the U.S. has no Caspian Sea policy, or do the U.S. have a strategic goal for the Caspian Sea? Well, the U.S. came out, uh, I guess it was last year, with a new Central Asian plan, uh, which I think inc which includes Afghanistan. They include Great Afghanistan and Central Asia because the bureaus of the State Department were reorganized um, uh, about between five and ten years ago, so that now there's one that's Central Asia and it includes Afghanistan. Uh, but the, the, the main strategic U.S. interest uh, is the northern supply route across the Caspian uh, to Afghanistan via Georgia, Azerbaijan, and so on. Uh, that's the principal American strategic interest uh, of the American state of the United States without uh, speaking uh, to uh, whether any of the industrial companies uh, that produce very highly specialized energy capital goods would have an interest, which they do. Uh, and, uh, of course, the U.S. would have an interest if, uh, in, in uh, and has a declared interest in helping the EU to diversify its sources of energy supply and the, trans the Turkmen uh Trans-Caspian gas pipeline would is is an obvious candidate for that. So those and those are the two uh, main uh, uh, prongs, if you will, of of the U.S. interest. There there are other there are others, but but those are the two main ones. And what about China? Beijing's been putting a lot of money into the Central Asian region at the moment, but will that translate to a Caspian Sea policy for Beijing? Well, actually, the Chinese have been present on the Caspian. Uh, since the mid to late 1990s, um, they took uh, a majority stake in certain onshore West Kazakhstan fields like uh, Aktyobe and, and others. And they took losses for years in order to keep that foothold. And they eventually succeeded. It was a, I have to say it's a mar it was a marvelous strategic coup. But they eventually succeeded in building uh, they negotiated in 19, the, the, it was signed in 1998, and it was finally completed, I think, in 2005. Uh, an oil pipeline that runs all the way from western Kazakhstan, across Kazakhstan, into western China, and across China into central China. Um, and so um, they've uh, been there for some time. And also there, when after the... Uh, Turkmen's and the Russians fell out in, I think it was 2009. And so uh, after that, the Turkmen's turned even more definitely toward the Chinese. Uh, the Chinese stake in Turkmenistan is in the eastern part of the country, not on the Caspian Sea. 
uh, and they develop, helped to develop uh, the um, the field, the immense huge field in eastern Turkmenistan and, and the pipeline going from there. Uh, so, so China's interest, and also now China is interested in the infrastructure, which to which you alluded, the, for the commodity transport, uh, the so-called uh, Belt and Road uh, business. But they were doing that before, in a way, before the slogan Belt and Road came up, uh, and uh, they're interested in that. But and they and they keep trying to. Uh, make footholds. There's a port uh, on the Black Sea coast of Georgia called Anaklia, which was to have been developed into a mega port, uh, including a lot of multimodal transit stuff, that um, now it's not clear whether that's going to happen because there was allegedly a lot of corruption. There was a lot of Chinese investment there that no one knew about, and there's a lot of funds that went where no one knows where. Uh, you can imagine where it might have gone. Uh, and so the Chinese, they don't stop. Uh, they've been trying to get a foothold in Azerbaijan since the late 90s. Uh, but uh, they, they, their interest has now, well, yes, turned into a strategic interest. It was originally energy, but now it's turned into a strategic uh, uh, power projection interest through economic investment. Yes. As it stands now, the other four nations on the Caspian are friendly with Moscow. But will that relationship last forever? And if one of those nations was to eventually turn against Russia, which nation do you think would be the most likely candidate? Well, forever is a long time, but let's just say that relationship souring with Moscow is not likely in the foreseeable future, as we say. Uh, uh, you could go down the list. Uh, Kazakhstan has, they export grain to uh, Russia. They export uh, oil through Russia. Uh, there is a long uh, history of uh, cooperation uh, between uh, Russia. Kazakhstan had a special place uh, in the Soviet Union. Uh, the Russians, I mean, the, the Soviet lexicon used to refer to, quote unquote, Kazakhstan and Central Asia. They considered Kazakhstan to be a special country, which it is, actually, uh, but it's part of Central Asia. So that's not foreseeable. Turkmenistan is... Uh, in a situation, it's, it's not, uh, it has no reason to turn hostile to Russia. It may not be, not just Turkmenistan, but all of these countries may be unhappy with certain things that Russia may do, but that's international relations. You know, you have partners and you're happy with some of the things they do and you're unhappy with some of the things they do. So uh, Turkmenistan is, is, has no motive to uh, express displeasure with Russian affairs. Azerbaijan neither, for the reasons that I discussed previously. And Iran has no capability uh, or interest uh, to, because given the, to borrow Henry Kissinger's infelicitous phrase from 1974 about Bangladesh, which ruined Bangladesh's reputation for decades. I think it's, and, and un, perhaps unjustly, but I do think that it's, it's increasingly apropos to refer to Iran as an economic basket case of their own doing. Uh, and, and it's been in the headlines and people who want to know the details know the details, so I don't have to go into that. Uh, so uh, Iran has no motive. Iran needs all the help it can get from those who can help. 
uh, especially under conditions of the sanctions. So Iran has no motive to uh, contradict or to make unfriendly noises about Russia. So for the foreseeable future, uh, which is an indefinite length of time, uh, but let us say at least five or ten years, there are no foreseeable reasons why any of these countries would want to uh, have unhappy relations with Russia. Put it that way. And my last question, do you think the Caspian Sea will become more important or less important to the wider geopolitical community over the next two or three decades? I've alluded to this in the reply to one of your questions, previous questions, that the Caspian Sea region is in much more central than it used to be to uh, international relations and to the evolution. It's a key node. It's, it's where a lot of things come together. And we don't have bilateral relations. We don't have a system of bilateral relations anymore. We have networks. Networks have nodes. And this is a key node, and it will become still more so. Now, in a much more material, down-to-earth way, the Caspian Sea region will continue to be important. And uh, Caspian oil and gas-producing states will not lose their geopolitical uh, significance uh, because of their centrality, even though Many Western companies, not all of them, have been uh, withdrawing uh, assets from projects they were in, selling their assets, selling their stakes in Caspian Sea energy projects. Uh, BP is still there, and it's going to stay there, uh, and others. Uh, it's going to uh, it's going to continue to be central uh, because first the EU will continue to to pursue gas supply uh, diversification. It will push for the pipelines of the Southern Gas Corridor to operate at their full capacities. For that to happen, more gas fields in the Caspian, including Turkmenistan, or actually Turkmenistan's gas field is ready to go. They just need to build a pipeline. Uh, need to be, uh, they will want these to operate at their full capacities. Uh, the U.S., despite uh, wishing to promote its own LNG exports, has endorsed, will continue to endorse the EU's efforts, uh, and this will end, diminish Russia's market share. Uh, and second, uh, the consortia that are already invested in the mega projects in the uh, Caspian Sea region uh, need to get their investments back. So they want to ensure a reasonable return on their already sunk costs. So they're not going to abandon it either. Uh, so either they're going to, um, in fact, when they have more capital and when demand rises towards the middle of the decade, either they're going to, in fact, make more uh, investment decisions in uh, what's called brownfield, old uh, uh, fields, uh, like Azerbaijan's offshore sector, or also greenfield, which would be new ones, such as the Trans-Caspian Gas Pipeline. So for all of these reasons, uh, the Caspian Sea region, uh, broadly considered, uh, or what one might, might want to call it the Greater Caspian Sea region, which includes the South Caucasus, it includes uh, southwestern Siberia, it includes western Kazakhstan and Turkmenistan, and includes northern uh, Iran, the broader Caspian Sea region, will continue to be geopolitically and strategically important. Uh, and uh, for the more systemic re reasons that I outlined before in a 
relatively abstract way, uh, I believe that they will that their importance will in fact increase and certainly not decrease. The Caspian Sea will have far more impact on the entirety of Eurasia than we ever thought possible, and every country on it seeks to use it to their own advantage. Iran, desperate for friends and trading partners, sees the Caspian as a source of additional energy resources, and a way to further tie themselves into the Beijing and Moscow-led trading blocks. And with the US sanctions bearing down on them, what other choice do they have? Kazakhstan not only sees the energy potential in the western shores, but also sees an insurance policy in the Caspian. Right now, Kazakhstan is incredibly reliant on Russia to transport its goods through to the European markets. And whilst Moscow and Nur Sultan are tight partners right now, all that's fine. But when storm clouds start appearing on the horizon with Russia, Kazakhstan will require another route into Europe, and that route may be over the Caspian Sea into Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan already holds the biggest city on the sea, and already has the pipelines heading through Turkey from the western shores of the Caspian. The Azeris are setting themselves up to be the alternative gateway into Europe for the Central Asians. Because even if Kazakhstan or Turkmenistan don't use the Azeri option, Russia will have much less leverage over them, knowing they have another direction to travel if pushed too hard. One of the larger major players though will be Turkmenistan, home to the fourth largest gas fields in the entire world. Gas Europe desperately wants. Europe's gas pipelines stretch all the way from London to Baku, thousands of kilometers. But it's just that last 100 kilometers across the floor of the Caspian Sea that stops Turkmenistan being a gas giant. If they could bridge that gap through the Caspian, Ashgabat would be connected to Europe, with everyone from Turkey to Germany being tied to the fate of Turkmenistan. But by doing that, much of the leverage Russia has over Europe in the form of cheap gas will be undermined, greatly weakening their position in the Western Hemisphere. It turns out the secret to breaking Germany's dependence on Moscow may be hidden in 300 kilometers of pipeline across the floor of the Caspian Sea. Thank you so much to everybody who tuned in this week. Last month was our biggest month yet, and that is all thanks to you guys. If you want to support the show on social media, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the handle at the Redline Pod, or you can find me on Twitter at the handle at Mike Kelly at Oz. The reason this show is possible is 100% because of our amazing Patreon subscribers, who give us a couple of dollars each month to help us run the show. Every single dollar we earn from them goes straight back into the program to help us pay for equipment, website hosting, platforming, and legal fees for the show. Our Patreons are absolutely amazing, and I regularly catch up with them one-on-one, -on -one, so they can ask me their burning questions, or even just chat. So if you want to support the show and jump online for a chat with me, all you have to do is give a couple of dollars a month to the program and help us keep this thing going. We want to keep the show independent and free of sponsors so we can go after any targets we want, rather than having to pull our punches, as most people do with sponsors. But once again, thank you to the guys and girls who donate to the show. You are absolute legends and you help this thing keep going. A big thanks goes out to our guests for this week. Eugene Chalsovsky was amazing to work with on this piece, and he has done some great videos and informational pieces himself with guys like Stratfor. I highly recommend you go on YouTube and check some of his stuff out. He is one of the most switched on people I have ever come across, and I really enjoyed working with him. Hopefully we'll have him back on the show soon. But for now, you can find him on Twitter on at Eugene Chalsovsky with an SK at the end. 
Stanislav Prichin is one of the foremost experts when it comes to Russia. In fact, I have referenced his work a number of times in previous episodes, so it was amazing to finally have him on the program. He consistently puts out amazing think pieces on Russia, and if anyone can predict the Russians' next move, it would probably be Stanislav. You can find him on Twitter at Stasprichin. Robert M. Cutler was so highly recommended to me by a number of people I look up to, and I can see why. I don't think I've ever met someone with such a thorough understanding of the European energy markets, and how a pipeline here can shift the course of a nation over there. He always puts out amazing articles, including some great work on the recent flare-up in Nagorno-Karabakh, and I highly recommend you check that out. For links to that, you can find Robert on Twitter at Robert M. Cutler. As always, this show would not be possible without my amazing team, and a thanks goes out to Mark for his amazing work on the bumpers as always. Please make sure you go and check out his amazing stuff on Twitter at the handle Climactic. He runs an entire network of shows dedicated to climate change. I also want to thank Joe, who helps clean the audio for these episodes. Joe always goes to huge lengths to turn these things around incredibly quickly, as deadlines for this show can often be very tight. And I really do highly appreciate his work. You can find Joe on Twitter at JoeHawthorne77. As is tradition, the last thanks goes out to you for listening to the program. Watching the views go up each and every month has been absolutely amazing, and all of your DMs and responses have been highly appreciated. It's this kind of support that really does help boost the show and the social media platforms and get us out to more people. Each and every response, like, share, and heart is what gets this show off the ground. So thank you for all your support to get us to the place we are. We will be back in another fortnight with another international episode. But until then, thank you and good night.